Today is, of course, the first week of Advent, which simply comes from the Latin Adventus, meaning coming or arrival. And Advent is a time of preparation for the coming of Jesus. Preparation not for his first coming, it has already happened, a preparation for his second coming. Advent is not simply just a countdown to Christmas or a reenactment play. Advent is first and foremost a celebration. It's a reminder of the person and work of Jesus Christ in his full gospel power and glory. And so we are reminded this day of the first coming in order that our hearts would be prepared for the next. The first is a pledge for the promise yet awaiting us. So if we look to the reading of God's word, if you please join me in prayer. Permit us not, O Lord, to hear your word in vain. Convince us of its truth, cause us to feel its power, and bind us to yourself with cords of faith, hope, and love that shall never be broken. O God, your power is there to hold us, your hand to guide us, your eye to watch us, your ear to hear us, your wisdom to teach us, your word to give us speech, your presence to defend us this day and every day. And this we pray in the name of the blessed Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to be the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Beginning in verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The word of the Lord. As a preacher, one of the things I enjoy about Advent is it gives an opportunity to do a lot of connecting the biblical dots. Looking at the Bible holistically enables us to see just how wonderfully interwoven Scripture is. The Lord makes a covenant with his people, and through several thousand years, we see this finally culminate in Jesus as its promised fulfillment. From Genesis 3 and the fall of man begins the unfolding of the Lord's promise of redemption, because he alone can redeem his people. And throughout the history then of God's people, there were moments when God would appear to them. The nice technical word for this is a theophany, the appearing of God. And when God appears to his people, it's not just some random act. Rather, it's an important puzzle piece that is finely and carefully fitted into its proper place. Visually, when you and I step back for a wider angle view... That's when we can see the pieces fit into a masterful scene of the Lord's redemptive work for us. The much harder part, though, is that just like the people in the Bible, we live in the immediate present. It's hard to step back and gain perspective when awful things are happening in our lives. Waiting on the Lord in those moments is a test of our faith. And at times it feels like we're taken to the breaking point. And yet the Lord is not silent, not unresponsive. He has seen our plight. He comes to us at the right time. 
And even when it does feel like the breaking point, we must put our trust in him and continue to follow Jesus. We see that throughout the Bible. The life of faith is never an easy one. When the Lord first appears to Abram, he gives promises that were still a long ways off. The start of this promise of fulfillment it will take 25 years. And that question comes, well, why the 25 years? Why the wait? Well, we're going to back up just a minute even further. In Genesis 3.15, the Lord, he speaks hope, even as the ruin of Adam and Eve's sin starts to reverberate through all creation. And he says there, speaking to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And then the next few chapters of Genesis looks like the opening scene of some dystopia movie. A murder, followed by total wickedness and sin, followed by a worldwide flood in judgment. Then a new start, a new hope begins in its tanks fairly quickly. And all that takes us right up to chapter 12 with Abraham. To him, the Lord makes great promises. The promise of land, the promise of people, of rule. It begins in verse 12 of chapter 12. It begins verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your kindred, your father's house, to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those you bless, and to him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Abraham is 75 years old. And just before this, the very end of chapter 11, what seems almost like a throwaway comment, we read there, now Sarai was barren, she had no children. And this begins the life of Abraham. It's a long-awaited promise. From chapter 12 to the birth in chapter 21. And then in chapter 13, the Lord, he speaks to Abraham and comes to him. He says, I'm going to make your descendants as uncountable as the dust of the earth. And I will give you all this land. And then rolling succession, Genesis 15 and 17, God appears to Abraham and he speaks of the covenant that he makes with him, reaffirming his promises of land, people, rule. This time, the beginning of chapter 15, Abraham, he's starting to wonder. A lot of time has gone by. He sort of begins with, hey God, you remember that part about the blessing? I don't have any kids yet. And the Lord says, oh, Abraham, look up at the stars. So your descendants will be as numerous as the stars, and I'm going to give you all this land. We go forward. Chapter 17. Abraham. Kids and all the land. And I'm sure by this time, Abraham is sort of thinking a little bit like, can we have less of the metaphorical kids and actually more of the real ones? Because nothing's really happening. Those are nice, nice things to say. But not much is moving. And now he's 99 years old. He owns no land and he has not one child by Sarah. And the Lord gets very specific. He says it's time to change Sarai's name to Sarah, even as his own name was changed from Abram to Abraham. And the change in name 
it speaks to both being parents of many descendants. And God tells him, Sarah is going to have a son. And Abraham's response was, Abraham fell on his face and laughed. And he said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who's 99 years old, bear a child? I think in some way the Lord was was saying to him, Abraham, I'm going to have the last laugh here. Think that's funny? Well, I'm giving you a son, and you're naming him Isaac. And Isaac means he who laughs. You don't know who is laughing. It's just he laughs. God is going to get the last laugh on Abraham. And in chapter 18, still moving forward, this time next year you will have a son. And now it's Sarah who's listening, listening at the tent door. And Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out, my Lord is old. Shall I have pleasure? Both Abraham and Sarah laughed. The promise seemed ludicrous to them. His age, her barrenness, were an undeniable and unmovable reality. And yet this promised son predicted twice. We see the fulfillment mentioned twice in 21. Chapter 21, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And when the God of all the earth visits someone in Scripture, it's an indication of a special interest in that person, either for judgment or for blessing. And here the Lord visits, visits Sarah for the fulfillment of the blessing of his promise. And it says in verse 2, Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. Third time that that is mentioned, in his old age. It's meant to let us know clearly this is a miracle. This is not just, you know, a weird function of human DNA and probability. This is a miracle. This wasn't supposed to happen. And yet it did. Abraham called the name of his son Isaac. He laughs. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. A a laughter of disbelief now turns into a laughter of joy. And now it's going to give the neighbors a good laugh too. They're going to hear about this and, oh my goodness, can you believe that? Abraham and Sarah... That's amazing. It's a joy and it's a laughter. I appreciate Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann's thoughts here. It's printed in your bulletin. But he said, Laughter is a biblical way of receiving a newness which cannot be explained. The newness is sheer gift, underived, unwarranted. Barrenness has become ludicrous. It can now be laughed at because there's full joy. And Sarah goes on in verse 7. She says, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? And the answer is, no one, Sarah. No one would have said that. And she ends, yet I have borne him a son in his old age. This beautiful picture of blessing, restoration, redemption. But, of course, we wonder, why 25 years? That's a long time to live like this. 
waiting for something that doesn't come. That's the way of the Lord with his people. We grow over time. We experience highs and lows throughout life. All of us start out as infants. Growing up is the Lord's design for creation. And Abraham needed 25 more years to grow. Because his greatest challenge is still in front of him. We'll get to that. He has a greater challenge. And all this while, the Lord is growing his faith, is growing his dependence, his understanding of who God is. Now, sometimes on our good days, we'd like to think that we have done better than Abraham. I mean, God appeared to him several times. We're like, you know, I wish God would appear to me several times. Tell me about his promises for my life. I don't think I would doubt that if something like that happened to me. Abraham, we're told repeatedly, he was a great man of faith. But he was an ordinary man. Just like you and I. He doubted like us. He struggled like us. And I don't think we have to reflect back very far, even in the past couple of years, where we're like, oh, yeah. I've complained a lot about the circumstances of my life to God for this thing or for that thing, not being what I wanted it to be. We're all the same in that regard. What we see in Abraham and others is that the Lord, his redemption, it grows over time. The story takes a long time to to develop, to mature. God is faithful to his promises. Nothing is beyond his reach. We understand that. But he's also... Never in a hurry. Think about that. Abraham, he ended out his days with only a cemetery to his name. That's the only land he owned in the land of promise was a burial plot. And Isaac, of all the many descendants that he was supposed to get, was his only son of promise. Land as far as you can see. Descendants as numerous as the stars. A rulership over everything. Abraham received in part, but the rest would have to wait a very, very long time to see his fulfillment. And that would be another appearing, another son of promise 2,000 years later. And again, that question comes, why the wait? Because God's call is a work of grace. It is a work of the future of the world yet to come. And it is God's own work. No person is bringing all these things together. It's God. And God brings it together perfectly. Luke chapter 1, the angel comes to Mary, and we hear, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, meaning God saves. He will be great, And he'll be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom of which there will be no end. Notice to Jesus is promised all the land, all the people, all the rule. That promise is still being fulfilled. It didn't happen at his first coming. It's continuing to move through history slowly as this develops. Mary and Sarah were both given sons of promise. 
both announced by angels. In Genesis 18, Sarah wonders, how will this be as she is old? In Luke 1, Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Book ended with two miraculous events. And yet in all of this, from the waiting of Sarah to all the way to Mary, God brings us about according to his appointed time. Genesis 17, 21, God says to Abraham, at this time next year, Genesis 18, 10, about this time next year, verse 14, at the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year and Sarah shall have a son. Chapter 21, Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken. How often we're looking and going, when, God? When? How long? But God's time is never arbitrary. It's not random. God's timing is perfect. These events did not take him by surprise. They were appointed each moment to where we read from the Apostle Paul in Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. It wasn't an accident. What he started all the way in Genesis 3.15, the promise given to Abraham, the promised son of Isaac, who is a type of Christ, is still moving forward. And we see these great parallels between the two promises. But in Genesis 22... The greatest trial of Abraham's faith comes to him. It's some time later now. This great child of promise has been given. And the angel of the Lord comes and he says to Abraham, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. They go, and along the way, as they're headed there, Isaac, he's old enough to go, hey, we got the wood and the fire, where's the lamb? And Abraham says, God will provide, son, God will provide. And then we read, as he binds his son and is ready to offer him as a sacrifice to the Lord, the angel calls out and says, Abraham, Abraham, don't lay a hand on the boy, for I know that you fear God seeing that you've not withheld your son, your only son. That language, very familiar to us. Your son, your only son, your only begotten son. Who is that spoken of? It's Jesus. And Abraham looked up and, and he saw a ram held in the thickets and Abraham offered the ram instead of his son. And Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. As it said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And here's where the promise of the sons differs. Isaac was a shadow. Isaac was a type of Jesus to come. The long wait prepared for the reality. It took time to grow and to develop over centuries. 
I've said this before, it's like being stranded on a desert island and finally a rescue copter comes flying overhead and you're, oh, here it comes. And the guy reaches out the door and drops like four or five acorns on your head. Plant these trees. Build a boat when they grow up. That doesn't feel like a rescue. It feels a lot like a not rescue. That's what we see taking place. A couple thousand years of of seeing this grow and develop. In the waiting, we are preparing our hearts because waiting on the Lord reveals our hearts to us. It's those moments of waiting that we see what's there. God brings and points that out to us. So that we would call upon him, so that we would grow in our faith and our understanding. But there's is good news here too. Between chapter twelve and chapter twenty five in Genesis, where Abraham dies, we see a very mixed life of faith by Abraham and Sarah. The whole Hagar Ishmael fiasco trying to force the promise in their own way. Abraham lying about Sarah being his wife, both of them laughing at God. And yet we see how charitable the Lord is to them. In Hebrews 11, it says in verse 8, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as a a foreigner living in tents, heirs with the same promise as Isaac and Jacob. For he was looking forward to the city that has no foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and as him, as good as dead, were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, as many as the innumerable grains of the sands of the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. That is God's very kind and charitable reading of their life of faith. Life comes only through the promise. And this promise only comes through the body of hopeless ones. Age beyond hope, a virgin conceiving, fill in the blank of your hopelessness. God's promise comes through that. By the powerful word of God becoming flesh, he has broken the grip of death of helplessness, of barrenness, and he has turned our grief and our tears into laughter. Because in Christ, your worst failure is never final. Death is always followed by resurrection. And the reality is is that God hands his son a promise over to death. The Lord provides on Mount Moriah the temple mount. He provides through His Son, His beloved Son. What none of us could do, what Abraham 
failed at, what Isaac failed at, what Jacob failed at, one history of failure after another, even in the midst of faith, so incomplete, so far off, God provides by not withholding his son, his only son, his son of promise. So when we are in the midst of of difficult times, even when we think, God, you've taken my faith to the breaking point, It will not break because it belongs to God. It's founded and centered and grounded in Him. And God does not come too late. He comes in the fullness of time, the perfect time, the exact time, the time each of us need. Not necessarily the one we want, but it's the one that we need. And the God who is sovereign over all the universe, who has brought the coalition of all these events and threads and brought them together to culminate in Jesus, even as we see this short little run of 25 years, it is not short when you're living it, of the son of promise, only to almost be snatched away from him so that Abraham would have a further vision of something greater of a city not yet here. He's still in exile upon the earth. Brothers and sisters, we are still exiles. We are awaiting that appearing of Jesus for the second time. When all things will be given to him. When the full promise, all the land, all the people, all the rule. And until then, he has called us to be faithful He has called us to follow. And even in those moments of way to examine our hearts and allow those those difficult moments to show us where we need to trust in Him in a greater way, where where we need to, to pour ourselves into His love even more. That laughter becomes ludicrous only in the gospel. Because of the joy that is there that only he can bring. Beauty from ashes, life from death. And we can look at that and just be amazed in the God whom we worship. Who has called each one of you by name according to his timetable. Pray with me. Father, we confess it is so hard at times to see you, (laughs) to love your timing. It seems so slow. Lord, we want to offer our praise and our worship to you because you are worthy of it. And Father, you have not withheld your Son, your only Son, from us. You have given to us everything that we need for life in you. We thank you. We bless you. And Lord, cause us to see more of that. Lord, the the city that yet awaits, we need a a greater vision. And Lord, open our eyes to see with the eyes of faith beyond the horizon in front of us. Grant us a greater vision in Christ. For it is in his name that we do pray. Amen.